Flights. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale March 17th, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And oh boy, hold on to your butts. We got a heck of an episode for you today. We are going to get through all the brand new comics on sale this week. We'll give you all of our picks. We'll give you some pulleys. We'll get into a whole bunch of stuff. And then we have a conversation with one Mr. John Gabris. Funny man, Tucker, I feel like you had a great time chatting with John. It was surreal. As like a huge fan of John Gabris, the podcaster, the comedian, the improviser, John Gabris can talk about anything. And obviously he's a huge comics fan and he's a big fan of Hercules in particular. So to be able to dive into all that with him was just a joy. Yeah. I think everybody else is going to have a lot of fun when they read Hercules, Prince of Power, the 1982 story for our reading club. We're going to get into that in a while. I did want to bring up a tweet that we saw. This one was in response to Andy Greenwald being on the show recently talking about vision. And the tweet is from Doug Orleans at Doug Orleans. And it says, why do they call their award the pulley and not the Pullister prize? Doug, where were you when we were coming up with dumb names for our made up nonsense prizes? That one is so good. Let's also just continue to solicit new ideas from listeners out there. If you have an idea of what on any given week we might switch it up, we might call our award system, get at us. You know where to find us. We're going to call the award system Get At Us. All right. Today's Get At Us is, oh, yeah, I'm running with that one. I like it. All right. The Get At Us is that we'll be giving out later on uh, will come after we get into our picks of the week. And I'm going to kick things off with Captain Marvel number 27. It is written by Kelly Thompson, art by David Lopez, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Now, look, David is a friend of mine. But David has done a ton of really amazing work on Laura Kinney stories. So, you know, all new Wolverine and X-23 stuff, as well as Captain Marvel. He has great history with Captain Marvel. And I forgot that he was on this issue. And it was just like this burst of wonder and joy and excitement that I got while reading this issue. I love the way David comes up with like weird stuff. And in this issue, he and Kelly who is also champion of weird, they come up with these creatures called snats, which are giant half snake, half cat, magical creatures that fly and shoot acid out of their butts and are piloted by sexy wizards. If that right there does not make you want to read this comic book, then you do not love comic books. (laughs) My God, it's so good. It's really funny but it's also really heartfelt and sweet. It is the perfect like buffet of everything you want out of a Marvel comic. It is so incredible. And on top of that, David friggin' Lopez doing just incredible work. His acting is always one of the things that I am consistently astounded by, how good he is at portraying the way people move and the way people inflect and act towards each other. You you never have someone who's just like standing there. I'm looking at a panel of Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, talking with her hands as Captain Marvel sort of powers up. It's such a simple thing, but it is the thing that I always think about when I think about characters talking in comics. It's something that Joe Quesada talked about is like, you should never have two characters who just stand and talk. There's something there. There's something more to it. And he adds those little flourishes to his art It's so good. It's so, so good. I think people are going to be talking about this issue. Yeah, there's stuff that happens that is just like, oh, yeah, that happened. (laughs) Kelly just coming in and she's just like 
taking a cane. She's swinging around. Yeah, you forgot yeah, about yeah, this? Yeah. Smacking me upside <laughs> the head. So good. All right. My pick this week is Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number one. The way that Cy Spurrier, who's the writer on this issue and is teaming up with Sergio Davila on art, alongside Sean Parsons with inks, Arif Prianto colors, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. The way that Cy sort of frames this story, I think is just so perfectly imagined. In the history of this character, there's so much there. There's so much to study and pick up on. Somehow, though, Cy Spurrier manages to cram that into this issue without feeling like anything is being crammed in anywhere. It feels so elegant and so wonderfully done because you have the stuff with the Avengers. You have the more mystical, almost fantasy side of things, of course, of the character named the Black Knight in kind of looking the way that Dane Whitman does. There's just so much to do here, and I think it's done so beautifully, so wonderfully well. We've known that Seisberger is an incredible creator for years now. We know that he has one of the biggest hearts in comics. We know that he can be funny and full of adventure. But I think what we're witnessing now is we're in the middle of a level up moment for Cy Spurrier. I think as we get to know the work that he's bringing to Krakoa, as we get to know the work that he's doing here, it's a really, really interesting time. And I think as a creator, I'm so intrigued by him. It's really, really great stuff. I would highly recommend diving into this and getting to know Dane Whitman a little bit for yourself. I'm a huge Cy Spurrier fan. I think he does weird so incredibly well. There's two stories. If you haven't read them yet, I want to suggest X Club, which is on Marvel Unlimited. It's a limited series from a bunch of years ago, which is tremendous. And it's about the friggin' science weirdos of the X-Men. And it's really great. And then the incredible X-Men legacy that starred David Haller, aka Legion, which I think was a thing that opened people's eyes as to that character could be the sort of lead of a story. And it's weird and it's beautiful and it's sad and it's incredible. Um, so yeah, I want Cy continuously writing cool things. And this, that book knocked my socks off. It was great. Yeah, it's undeniable stuff. I am still socksless because I have just read Marvel number six, which is my second pick. You like that segue? And I want a, an oversized hardcover of this series because it's packed with some of the greatest, like cool, weird art that we've put out in the last couple of years. And I just saw that we're going to do a treasury edition collection. So it's going to be a bit bigger. So I'm looking forward to that. And this one wraps it up. There are a couple of stories in here as there have been for each. There's the framing story, the nightmare story that frames it. So it's nightmare versus Dr. Strange. And it's big and it's cool. It opens with another incredible piece of Alex Ross art. And it's written by Alex Ross and Steve Darnell. But then the first of the couple of stories in here is written and drawn by Greg Smallwood. It's basically 60s era Nick Fury, super spy, cool gadgets, mod costumes, big bombastic colors. It's got some of that really cool action and adventure and feeling that, you know, we got from those classic comics, but moderned up. And it's really amazing. There's a MODOK cameo in here. There's arcade business in here. There's Nick Fury on the moon, Nick Fury underwater, Nick Fury and the Contessa and Dum Dum and conspiracies and big robots and wild colors. It is gorgeous. Then we get to one of my favorite things we've published in a long time. It is a black and white story written and drawn by Lee Bermejo. Now, if you are a diehard Marvel fan, you may not know Lee's name. Lee has done a bunch of covers for us. 
He's done, I think, two interior works for us, not full stories. He's like contributed to a couple of issues. I think it's only two. So this is him getting to write and draw a Silver Surfer story. It's hard for me to articulate the beauty that he instills in this. You know, it, it kind of looks like he is drawing with charcoal and he does this beautiful, sad, haunting Silver Surfer story where Surfer returns to Earth at a certain point and it takes a couple twists and turns. It's got big action. It's got the melancholy feel of a good Silver Surfer story. It's got this like post-apocalyptic vibe to it. When you see the reflections that Lee does on the Silver Surfer's body, it's unlike anything you, you may have ever seen. I don't, very few artists go to this length to really portray that like shiny beauty and like weirdness of the Silver Surfer. It's something special. And that's just one part of the story. Then we flow back into the Doctor Strange nightmare story that wraps up everything. It sort of puts a bow on the entire six issue series. Alex Ross and Steve Darnell keep going as the writers. Alex transitions into the art that goes to Mitch O'Connell, who comes into this vibe that's like Ditko meets Mike Allred meets just sort of like crazy pop art. It's beautiful. And it's just this big love letter celebration of the Marvel universe and comics. It's a perfect ending to this story and an ending to one of my favorite limited series that we've had in a while. It's really good. That's what we have for our picks this week. Now, get at us. If you disagree, get at us. And Doug, who gave us the Polister Prize. Yes, you're right. It is really good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're kicking things off for new comics this week with Captain America Anniversary Tribute number one. Essentially what this issue is, if you haven't heard, is three classic Captain America stories. That's Captain America Comics number one, two stories from that. And then we have Captain America Joins the Avengers from Avengers number four. Those are the stories that are being reimagined in this issue with a new art team on every single page. And it is incredible. I won't even be able to name all the artists that are involved here because there are so many, but just scanning this list, it's incredible. We have people like John Cassidy, Marguerite Sauvage, Peach Momoko, Pere Perez, Juan Cabal, Laniel Francis Yu, Carmen Carnero, Inhyuk Lee, R.B. Silva, Sara Pichelli, Carlos Pacheco, Mahmoud Asrar, Joshua Kassara, Adam Kubert, Jim Chung, Joe Bennett, Stephanie Hans, Aletha E. Martinez, Alex Ross, Adam Hughes, Javier Garon, The Dodsons, Butch Geis, Pepe Larraz, Ray Anthony Height, Mark Bagley, so many more. It's really, really exciting. And I think a totally fitting and really imaginative tribute to a character that's been around 80 years now. Such a fun read. And I think a lot of bang for your buck in this one. Let's go to Champions number five. This is the final issue of the arc by Evo Ewing and Bob Quinn and company. It wraps up everything very nicely. I'm going to give a get at us for the epilogue because it's got one of my favorite epilogues of the week as one sort of story slash team finishes getting a little taste of what's to come in the future, like right away as the epilogue. That is Wonderful, because we're getting Danny Lore and Luciano Vecchio coming on. And that, to me, when you check out these last two pages of this issue, you're going to be like, oh, I definitely got to keep reading Champions because it looks amazing. My next get at us goes right to Larry Hama. It's a masterclass, this next 
issue, which is Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number three. The storytelling, the way that we get to know these characters in the midst of action, in the midst of dialogue is just incredible. And I got to give a shout out as well to Dave Wachter, who is the artist. I love this art really beautifully. Obviously, you have great stuff with Danny Rand. We also have great stuff with Luke Cage. We have Okoye in this issue. We have Sunspot in this issue. It's a kind of globe spanning story here. But we also have some really wild, awesome monster action as well. It's just an incredible collection of things all mixed into one. And like I said, masterminded by one of the all-time greats, Larry Hama. Yeah, it's dynamite. My get at us for Iron Man number seven goes to the favorite non-team of the week because we've been talking about them for the last two issues or so. This book has a squad that includes Gargoyle, Scarlet Spider, Misty Knight, and Frogman. And they have like a three-page conversation in here, which is all philosophical and really interesting and cool that ends with Gargoyle just mic dropping on all of them. Uh, on top of that, Kafu is like breakdancing like nobody's business with his art. Does that make sense? I yes. pictured it in my head in a certain way. And I don't know if it came out <laughs> verbally, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous issue. Next up, we got King in Black, Spider-Man, number one. I want to give a, a get at us to myself here because you told me this book was coming three months ago. I would have said put that one on the map. And this was one of the ones I was thinking about for my pick of the week. It is just glorious, not least because it's led by Jed McKay and Michele Bandini. Jed McKay, I think, writing a story, not just about Peter Parker, but in the midst of a really big, dramatic event with a ton of gravitas like this, flinging around New York City in the middle of the nighttime, going up against all sorts of enemies. It's really classic Spider-Man in that way. And Jed McKay, aside from being one of my favorite writers, is a writer that I feel like his style is super conducive to this sort of Spider-Man storytelling. And Michele Bandini, speaking of leveling up, to see the way that Michele interprets Spider-Man brings a certain spin to it is just so, so good. Not just all of that. We also get Reptile stuff. So if you're excited about Reptile, uh, number one, heading down the pipeline, then read this as well. Yeah, just another great one. All right, let's move on to Sword number four. I love this book so much. It got thrust into the middle of King and Black, as you know, a lot of series do when they launch around the time of a big epic crossover, and it's used it to its advantage so, so well. Al Ewing coming in here and Valerio Skeety just doing some cool stuff, but my get at us of the week is for Manifold and his big mutant energy. There's a line in here where he's fighting an avatar of Null, and Noel has been like taunting him, like, you're not even an Omega mutant, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, all right. So anyway, now that I've got a moment to breathe, I don't teleport. I'm more than that. I talk to the universe and we get along. So she does me little favors and I'm not going to spoil the rest because the thing that he does is bonkers. And this is a reminder that he's not even an Omega mutant, but he is so cool his power set and the way that they've developed Manifold, Eden Fessy in the last two issues, I was just like, oh, where is our Manifold ongoing right now? It's so good. The character's rad. It's a gorgeous book with really cool, like dark weirdness happening on Krakoa as everybody's dealing with Null and King and Black. Has a great Magneto moment where he's holding a skull. I love this book so much. It's a treasure. Yeah, that's another one I could go on and on about. It's so great, but I won't. I will go on and on about Spider-Woman number 10 instead. This 
issue gets my get at us for Screak of the Week. <laughs> Honestly, since we talked with Carla um, Pacheco on an episode recently, we talked about Spider-Woman Origins. And in that interview, Carla said that Pere is a martial artist. That has kind of reframed again my fandom of Pere and how much I love the action sequences that he puts together. It's just beautiful stuff. We certainly get that in here. And another, like, as every single one of these Spider-Woman issues comes out and continues to be great, I just get more and more excited. I'm just so happy to see this book becoming more and more of a highlight and just going up in stature and in the response that fans have been giving in every single issue. It's just so great to see. And this is another one. Yeah. All right, we've got a Star Wars book this week, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 10, and it gets a get at us for sneaky solo cameo of the week. We get a little Han Solo action in the beginning of this book, but then it's just a lot of wild bounty hunter on bounty hunter violence and a little bit of smooching, some cool creatures and big, big battles. Uh, Next up, we have The Trials of Ultraman number one. We got to know Ultraman in our context here on the pull list with our first series brought to you by Raiders Mac Room and Kyle Higgins. Now we are going into, like the title suggests, the trials of the character. So, so much to explore here. I want to give my get at us of the week here for underwater fight sequence of the week. That's a really specific challenge to draw someone who's underwater, who doesn't know which way is up, who's being sucked down. You know, those kind of things is a very specific kind of gravity to it. Literally, there's a very specific way that it needs to be executed and it's done wonderfully here. I think that's a great little touch by this creative team. And uh, if you're a fan of Ultraman, if you're just getting to know Ultraman, this is a new number one. It's another great way to dive in. Yeah. Oh, we've got a big one here. Thor number 13. I'm going to give our get at us for this book to family fashion choices of the week as Thor and Odin both get some special looks this week and they rock them. There's tremendous vibes in here for uh, the outfits that Thor and Odin sport by the end of this issue. Uh, Specifically, that last page shot is really good. Um, Got a ton of great moments in here. You get Donnie getting to write Bats, the ghost dog, again who I love that Donnie created him and didn't expect anyone to ever use him again. And then Mark Wade kept writing with him and other people kept writing Bats. And he was so excited. The genuine joy that Donnie has that Bats the ghost dog has continued along. And now he gets to curse out a character in this book. It's a lot of fun. This arc has been really tremendous as we've seen the dark side of Thor's earlier years with Donald Blake sort of come to bear. It's been violent and bloody and wild. And it like, this is the penultimate chapter of this arc. This is going to be one of those really, really good rereads as a solid single story. I can't wait for that trade. Yeah. All right. We're wrapping things up this week for new mags with X-Force number 18. And I love this issue because it gives me the opportunity to say that classic Benjamin Percy X-Force refrain, which is, this book is poison, because (laughs) I don't think that's ever been more true than this issue in particular. Maybe early on when we had all that crazy stuff going on with Domino, you don't want to know what I mean. It's on Marvel Unlimited right now. Go read it because it's incredible. I kind of don't want to talk about what happens in this issue because of 
how immediate the stuff that happens happens to these characters and what emerges over the course of these 20 pages. It's really, really great stuff. And it is poisonous. You're right there alongside them. And that's really the best word to describe it. Another great entry into a series that for me just does not miss. Okay, that's what we have for new Marvel mags coming your way March 17th. We got some great collections coming as well, including Avengers by Jason Aaron. We got another entry in the Dawn of X. Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. Just a bunch of great stuff featuring some favorites of ongoing comics today. Yeah, and over on Marvel Unlimited, it's a really great week because the first issue of S.W.O.R.D. is now in Marvel Unlimited. Really, really suggest everybody jump on that. That first issue was Dynamite, King of Black, Namor, number one. Another issue of the Juggernaut series, which I really, really loved. An issue of Venom, which is a King of Black tie-in, and plenty more. You can get the full list of all that stuff over on Marvel.com. We are about to get into our section uh, where we're talking to Mr. John Gabers, but I did want to grab a tweet that I saw pop up on the Marvel's pull list hashtag on Twitter from free Jericho at Jericho Vilar, which says when Andy Greenwald guested on the hashtag Marvel's pull list podcast and he has a he uses an image of Wilt Chamberlain looking up with a lot of points and rebounds and assists and that's a quintuple double. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember, Wilt Chamberlain was really good. <laughs> all right. Now we are heading to our reading club this week, which is all about Hercules, Prince of Power. That's four issues brought to you by the incredible Bob Layton's 1982 series. Go check it out on Marvel Unlimited right now. And uh, no better person, I think, to talk about it with than John Gabris. So let's go to that right now. It is going to be an exciting day here on Marvel's Pull List because our guest this week is Mr. John Gabris, comedian, gad about town, and a bearded man, which is going to factor in heavily, I'm sure, into our conversation about this week's reading club selection of Hercules, Prince of Power. Gabris, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys doing, more importantly? Doing pretty good. I'm so excited to talk to you about this book because this is probably the best combination guest and book that we've had just in terms of tone, in terms of spirit, in terms of all, it just feels like a perfect fit. It was funny. I mean, we'll get to it more, but the biggest takeaway was, is that it was like, I'll let you guys take it. I'm getting too excited. I'm already no, like, this is it. great. <laughs> I just end it. I'm like, and here's my final thoughts. It's like, uh, <laughs> thanks gamers. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know why I came to this late. I came to this only a couple of years ago, but I remember when I worked at Wizard Magazine, a ton of the older dudes swore by this series. I kind of looked at it like, yeah, okay, whatever, fine. Hercules, 1982, it's not my bag. Yeah, I'm a comic book guy and a movie guy, and growing up, I was closed-minded. Like, if a movie was yellowish, I wouldn't watch it. And I'd, like, miss out on, like, 70s New York thrillers in the 90s because I'd be like, I don't know. It looks old. It looks like Doctor Who on BBC. And then the same with, like, these old comics. Like, it'd be like, it doesn't look glossy like the holographic cover X-Men 300 <laughs> I, I really want. Yeah. But now that I'm, like, a grown-up and have appreciation for the mediums, going back and reading some of the old stuff, and I now have a Marvel Unlimited account, which yeah, I... Yeah. Like you're talking about blowing money like an idiot in the pandemic. I, I turned to my wife. I'm like, we need to get the biggest iPad they sell. She's like, why? And I'm like, so I can read comics on it. I'm sorry. It's true, though. And it, the, the best part is you don't have to give up the, the paperback, but you can read stuff you never would have touched before 
Look, I, I feel like I'm a commercial every time I start talking about Marvel Unlimited, but it, it is such a great way to dabble into things and then discover what you love. Dabble, a word that appears early in issue one of Prince of Power, and it made me laugh. There are certain words that appear in this book. They're anachronistic for Hercules. Yeah, exactly. That made me laugh so hard. Like words like dabble, words like couch. Uh, there are a bunch <laughs> that just really stuck out to me that really I really love. Before you go further, you said anachronistic. Do you guys know when this takes place? No. N- no. Neither did I. And I was trying to do some research to see if creator Bob Layton had posted a blog about it or anything. It's set in the 24th century. So there's a whole like extra level of, wait, what is happening here that I got (laughs) on my most recent read? So it turns out our perception is the anachronism. Like it turns out that the word dabble is actually super modern and futuristic. And we're the ones who are behind on the times. John, (laughs) I've always thought of you as, and I think this is something that you are very in touch with, the fact that one, you look like Hercules. The Prince of Power a little bit in the newer drawings, like in the Incredible Herc and the newer Hercules, it really does look like me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you look like Hercules. You also have this amazing nerd's brain. And that's something I love and something that, you know, just generally I'm excited to tap into today as we talk about these early 80s Marvel comics. Yeah, nice. This has been the dichotomy of my life is football and Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> rugby and improv comedy, power lifting and, you know, old cinema. You know, everything has always been like the two of those. And I think it's because my upbringing on the infamous Long Island, that is a real football, rugby, not a real Dungeons and Dragons comic books world, but I was able to, because of my indestructible ego, maybe is the answer, (laughs) I was able to live both worlds pretty well. I was both a bully and bullied. It's like the perfect (laughs) version. (laughs) I like it. Uh, You have a a number of podcasts and you've been on a bunch of shows, but podcasts include um, High and Mighty, Raised by TV. Uh, You've been a lot on Comedy Bang Bang, but I also... I wanted to make sure to point out Action Boys, which is where you and your co-host get to talk about classic action films and just kind of talk about the movie in some some yeah. ways. Well, we do record for over three hours so that in there somewhere, we definitely talk about the movie a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. And I bring that up because reading Hercules, Prince of Power, it felt a little bit like this could have been a classic 80s action movie if the stars were aligned. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like... Just taking Hercules into space in his, speaking of using this word again, I'm glad I think I use it correctly, anachronistic wardrobe, it really adds that layer of sort of like, whoa, he's out of place here. It feels like arguably a little bit like Masters of the Universe. But for me, I've always loved Hercules because I look like him. Someone literally just sent me a photo from one of the incredible Hercules where he's standing holding a keg over one arm and he's in like his like super strappy gladiator sandals. And he's not shredded. He's huge, but he's not shredded. And he has like a very similar smile and face to me. And then reading Prince of Power, this is the TV show version of if you want to introduce Hercules, this is a great source material, I feel like. And Hercules... In the new comics, especially, and and you see a touch of it here, he's very sort of open-minded and sex positive, despite being, you know, combative and quick to fist fight. But there's something oddly modern about his take and his tone throughout this, wildly heteronormative. But I do think there's something like, it's weirdly modern for like this sort of 
unfrozen caveman guy to arrive at different planets and learn completely new cultures, but have ways in with each of them. Like we make alcohol. It's like, I drink alcohol. It's like, we like to fight. It's like, I'm the best at fighting. It's like reading it this morning. I was like, Oh man, this is so good. And I want to lift weights right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Even if you look at that first cover, that first cover, that right there screams to you, this is going to be a rad book. He's there. He's got his regalia on. He's got his weird mace that I've never really understood. He's got (laughs) ships flying at him. It's got space. It's got Hercules. It is such a like, let's go. This is going to be rad right from the get-go. Yeah, it's like checking all the boxes of 13-year-old and 39-year-old Gabris. <laughs> uh, digging into issue number one here, let me read the credits real quick. On page number one of issue one of Hercules, Prince of Power, this is 1982, it says, conceived and executed by Bob Layton. Writer and artist is Rick Parker and letters. No, so it's Layton wrote the entire thing. He drew the entire thing. I think Parker does inks on this. Rick is the letter, and then there's like assistance who help him ink and finish on issues two and three, just because he got a little overwork. Right. But reading this, basically, Hercules goes home for the first time in a long time. That's how we begin this story. He kind of climbs the mountain, and uh, it's like a day of rest in the name of Zeus. And Hercules kind of just disrupts the silence of it all. Zeus gets super angry. And I immediately right away was like, Whoa, what's up with Zeus? He's so mad instantly (laughs) that he banishes his son, who he hasn't seen in forever, to like the stars where he'll be uh, like worthless, puny, non-god. He can't even go to Earth where he's powerful just because he like wasn't quiet on his special quiet day. I don't know much about Greek mythology, but I feel like maybe Zeus is kind of known for being like angry and antagonistic and just kind of (laughs) ready to fight or be mad at any little occasion, but I wasn't really sure. And I said to myself, I know that John Gabrus will know this. <laughs> well, I think Zeus is that that makes sense for him. Let's be honest. He's a guy who goes to earth and has sex with humans <laughs> under a like trickery guys to have them birth Titans. So let's just say he's not a great guy. Yeah. You know, Zeus has popped up a couple times in other books of late, like I was going to recommend this later on for you, John. It's uh, the current Guardians of the Galaxy series has Hercules on the team and he's part of the crew and he's like all loose and happy and, and more zen than ever before. He's still he's still the prince of power, but he's he's got a different vibe to him in, in some ways. Um, but they're fighting Zeus and the resurrected gods of Olympus and they're the worst. They are murderous and evil and messed up. And even in the sequel to Prince of Power, which I think is also called Prince of Power, it's a much darker story in which Hercules mostly has to fight Zeus, who has already murdered all the other gods. Zeus is just the worst. Hey, look, this is what you come to the Marvel pull list podcast for. We're here to cancel Zeus. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, somebody had to. Uh, This is my first time reading these issues. John, was this your first time? This was my first time reading Prince of Power. So it's so awesome to dive in. And this is at that, like, the books seem to be in that in-between phase of, like, the old school taste and the new school taste. It yep. seems to be, you kind of get in a little bit of both. You get these, like, weird, big, wide panels with, like, the sort of blue and pink stamp art, like, Those big ships that are like just distant pink, many nodule things. But also there are long, like high language uh, as someone who like liked all the Starling books and stuff uh, as I got older. It's like those 
highfalutin long paragraphs of language like follow me and and heed thy fast steed because like all that but then it also has like some characters cracking wise and some characters and it really had the vibe of 70s cinema where it was like it's on film in quotes and it's auteur but there is this modern tick of coming in of like funny one-liners like characters sort of undercutting themselves in a way which is stuff like taking itself a little less seriously. I remember reading old these comics and then being a little like more stodgy, a little bit more dry. And then this one has like guys in full body wraps, like a sitcom, like going like, can you believe what his horses did to us? <laughs> like it has like little cutaways to like repercussions from Hercules's actions, which is very modern, like style and modern humor. And I was just so enjoyable to see. Because you're immediately like, okay, here we go because of the art. And it's beautiful, but you're like, this is, I know this. It's going to be the old school style. And then it's like, it's got a real fresh take on the writing. And Recorder is such a fun character. Statement, I like the book. <laughs> <laughs> I love the pace of it too because yes. immediately it's like, Hercules, he's climbing Mount Olympus. He wants to be home. Boom. He's like, down and out, he's bored. The ladies show up to give him some wine. He immediately starts to party. He's like lifting them up. That panel is my favorite panel in the book. Yeah, and where he's like holding so them. He's holding one up, like one over his head, one on his arm. There's a cracked wine urn on the ground yeah. and, a, and two other women, one who's just <laughs> holding a blanket over her naked body. Yeah. And you're like, that's some grown up stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in here. And, you know, you, you get into, you know, it's really like how quickly they're like, we need to get him into space. How do we do it? Boom, boom, boom. And within, what is it? Less than 10 pages, he's in space. Yeah. He's got Apollo's chariot skyrocketing into space. Which looks awesome. And it's just, okay, how do we get him to have these adventures? And you get into the Rigelians who, you know, these these like space researchers, essentially, uh, which is fun. And they have the recorders. And we've used rec the recorder, like, thing, this cyborg creature that is there to just observe and record is really cool. It's come up a bunch of times in different comics over the last couple of years. It's a device Marvel loves to use, like the character who can explain to the audience, like, I too am observing everything you're seeing here, folks. You know, it's sort of like the letter to the editor, like, thanks for tuning in again, and I'm Urahu the Watcher, and this is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that I loved about this was when he's in space, there's two little beats that I cracked up at. One was when recorders like, how are we surviving in the vacuum of space and Hercules is like hey, this is well uh, don't think about it it's great and then yeah. the other one is he blows this giant horn he somehow I don't know where the horn is stored but he takes the horn out and he like basically talks through it and that's how he communicates throughout the entire ship from the vacuum of space into the Rigelian's ship uh, that, <laughs> that horn that panel with the horn is just so ridiculous to me and I love it the only people who know how he carries that horn around is the TSA, and they're not telling. <laughs> uh, we, let's keep moving on, because I want to talk about the recorder a bit more, uh, because he gets drunk in the first issue, which is hilarious. In the second issue, he's losing a hand, everything's going wrong. Then he gets into like the, the point where he starts watching Hercules have sex. like That moment where Hercules is like, you stay over here, recorder. I've got some business to take care of. And the way that they play that scene is not on Hercules, it's on Recorder. And then Recorder gets stopped by the cops who are like, hey, you pervert robot. Like, 
That was just so funny. Yeah, I think he says, like, is this what Hercules believes romance is? It doesn't seem romantic at all. It seems more like the uh, uh, combat properties of the antler people of blah, 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 or whatever. And record is like, we're talking about, like, Simpsons level of ability to deliver to kids and adults at the same time. in this Like, you might not fully grasp what's going on there. You just want to see Hercules throw a wing at Galactus or whatever. But in this, we see, like recorders they call him a peeping droid or a peeping something like that they put him in jail where he then does keeping the pattern going of what ryan's explaining he does a full vial of hallucinogenics <laughs> he puts it directly into his head yeah. he, he, he does space lsd later in the book but this segment with with hercules and the woman that he saves and the the perviness it has a great capper where, all right, then then the scene cuts. Hercules is with the woman. They're in bed, you know, post-coital and all this stuff. And then he starts telling her this story about how he can't stay with her because he's immortal. And he's had a love who died because he didn't really understand the, the concept of time. And, you know, he's telling her this. And in his head, he's like, that sounds pretty good if it were true. So he's a total jerk about it he's lying to her <laughs> about all this stuff and then she tells him a story and it has one of my favorite panels it's his bottom panel she's like oh it doesn't matter i'll love you i'll love you and then she's crying and snuggling up to him and he's giving her side eye half his body is in shadow and he's like there's no thought caption for him but you can tell from his eyes that he's like ah oh, damn it this sucks <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's so good there is a that timeless quality, which I think is another great point about this. And like the recorder is, serves like the role of a Greek chorus. So it's coming down and like hitting Pater in these interesting ways where you do wonder between that, between the kind of trials that he goes through, between just like the nature of his relationship with his father. It does kind of come back and find ties into Greek dramas and like Greek mythology in really interesting ways. And it leads me to wonder, John, this is something I ask a bunch of creators. I'm curious if you can quantify or if you even have a real grasp of you. You're also a writer. Did Marvel Comics influence your understanding of story as a writer and inspire you in that way, even you know from an early age? I'll tell you what, movies probably more than anything, just because that was my way into understanding most things. But I will say X-Men taught me about like, And I don't know what the actual articulation of this is, but the thing that I learned most from X-Men, which, you know, I was a sports kid and a comic book kid. So X-Men was like teams and I played football where everyone has specific positions, you know, and it's like, yeah, you could be a big, strong guy. But if you have 11 Colossus, 11 Colossi, you might not be able to stop Magneto. Well, definitely not Magneto. He would have some some good dominance over you. You might not be able to stop the Brotherhood of Evil. But if you have... A Colossus, a Wolverine, a Nightcrawler, like, and everyone has different. And then like X-Men taught me that it was like characters can build with each other. And I would go on to love all those action movies where it was teams of people. And then I will say as I got older and when I was reading X-Men again in my 20s and I was more in the writing world and my writing partner, Justin Tyler, is a big time comic book head. He hosts Comic Book Club, a podcast that's been running for As long as I've known him, I feel like 10 years or something. We were working together every day and he had like, you know, midtown discounts and hookups. So I was reading his books all the time and we were writing together at the time. So it was like so much of that was clearly in there. You know what I mean? Like, and we would always talk about like, 
writing it like, oh, like that issue of blank or like this would be such a good idea for like a movie if you blew this out and made it humans or whatever. So like Marvel comics, of course, but I credit X-Men the most to being like, oh, and then sorry, in my 20s reading X-Men again, you realize like the thing that brings them together, the themes, the attitudes and the sort of allegory to like discrimination that's happening in there. And then I'm like, oh, they're saying something cool and but without you know, having the fable at the end or whatever, the classic like multicam sitcom of like, and that's why family is important, kids. <laughs> uh, oh, Comet. You know what I mean? And X-Men taught me that like, oh, you can have a little bit of, this is not the right phrasing, but like with enough sugar, you can have a little medicine in there and you wouldn't notice. Not to mention that's like a belief system that I line up with pretty much, you know, 1000% of the time is like open-mindedness towards different people. <laughs> and like, and being a dork who was made fun of and bullied through the 80s and 90s, comics kind of freed you in that. And now it's sort of like completely flipped where it's like Chris Evans is like, I love comic books. I'm like, me too. I wish I looked like you. I wish I could hold the chopper like that. <laughs> we get back on track for the book after the space LSD in the second issue. We go into the third one. The third one to me is the most like standard of the four issues. It's like a lot more fighting, a lot more like formulaic in a sense of like, it's more important for building to the fourth issue. And you've got like these cultists and you've got the army guy and you got, you still get a lot of the weird like twists and turns and subversive stuff and, and funny stuff, but it's a little bit more standard in a lot of ways. I still love it. It's got, you know, Hercules bestowing the gift upon people, which is one of my favorite things that plays out throughout the book is where I want to give you the gift, which is just him beating the crap out of you, which is super fun. Yeah. It's such a funny layer to Hercules that he believes it's an honor to fight. Like, I, I forget what book it's in. Maybe it's the second book. It's like, oh no, he's here. He's from the planet that has this insane gravity. He's the strongest alien race. And Hercules just runs up and punches him in the face. And then he starts crying and says, do you hate me? And it's like, <laughs> this is so funny. It has a little bit of that like, attitude of like, we'll undercut it a little bit here, but not enough that it feels like a comedy, but enough that you laugh and still respect Hercules as like a capable hero. Yeah, it's great. The other thing I wanted to point out for issue three is that is the issue that really like clicked for me, the Starlin connection in the uh, the art, in the character designs, the alien designs, really like that was a thing I loved about Starlin's space stuff is he just drew real weird alien people. Like, all of Thanos' forces and all the warlock stories, they're just, none of them look alike. They all got weird little afros or like bumps all over <laughs> them. And and that's some of the the like the alien character designs I love in this book. I feel like ki kids these days might use the phrase, he went off. <laughs> like he, <laughs> Ryan, you're right. It is like the most straightforward of like classic sort of like sci-fi comic pulpy story. But I think if you're doing four issues, like that's a great move to have something in there for like the guys who've been reading the comics for 20 years at this point. They might not care for the undercutting or the subversion or any of that. And just a four book run like and flexing on one where it's like, yeah, this is just a back to basic story. This one is like too sexual. This one's violent. Like such a fun flex. I'm just in awe. You were saying earlier, same guy, writer and artist. Yeah. Bob Layton, uh, who famously did uh, worked on Demon in a Bottle, long run on Iron Man comics. If anybody has a chance, go to Bob underscore Layton on Twitter. He posts a lot of his like art and stuff, but he 
There's a, a recent post of him wearing a jacket that Marvel licensed out and made of his art. And so he's wearing a jacket of his Iron Man art. And he's just like the happiest you'll ever see someone. It's great. Oh, that's great. so rad. It's a awesome. talented guy. I, I, he's one of those names I didn't recognize, but I will like use the Marvel Unlimited app to search out more of his stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, the place where it lands as well, like. I think it's the perfect encapsulation of all of those things in terms of the story, in terms of the humor, in terms of like how it connects with the superhero story elements of it and with the art as well, because in that issue number four, as you go to the last page, you get like this beautiful poster of Hercules Prince of Power that I loved so much. It exists in its own right away from the story as he kind of walks into the sunset with this woman at the end of issue number four. But I loved it as a kind of cap to it at the same time because you close on a laugh and then you turn the page one more time and you have this epic, awesome, like side profile with the stars kind of illuminating his face with the name of the book there as well. It reminded me of like my favorite thing that a great movie can do where the story ends and then it somehow lands on this tableau, this like perfect image that somehow can encapsulate all of it. And yeah, just like set me off into the sunset in the perfect attitude and mode. I loved it. Yeah, it feels so classic in that sense and so new in so other ways, so it works. The book wraps up in the fourth book with not just another Galactus story. So Galactus shows up and it's rad. You've got Hercules getting drunk with these weird snail dudes who look like there's a kaiju. It might be an old Ultraman costume or another um, Japanese tokusatsu character that looks exactly like these dudes, like to a T. I love these little dudes. One of them has such a funny line when they're partying. The little guy goes, if you're saying we love to party, then you're right. (laughs) Or something like that. It's like a phrase that just shouldn't happen in 24th century (laughs) outer space. The most casual dialogue. Like if you're talking about, do we like to party? Then heck yeah, or whatever they say. And it's so (laughs) awesome. So good. The other thing is, uh, I like the, so this book being the 24th century, in comes a Herald of Galactus, who is Frankie Ray, who would have been a Herald of Galactus during a period, probably a little bit before this. It just posits in this future, she just stuck around. She shows up and my favorite bit is like she and Hercules fight a little bit. And then she realizes she's like, wait, Hercules from like, Earth Hercules? Uh, She's like, the Hercules from Earth? And he's like, the same woman. And she's got this great look on her face. She says, golly, can we go somewhere and talk? And it's terrific because Hercules just gets down with her again. Hercules is like having the time of his life. He's finding ways to beat his problems and have a good time. It's hilarious and weird and uh, and a lot of fun. Big, hilarious, and weird. That's your boy right here. Perfect guest for this episode. <laughs> Have you ever seen Galactus without his helmet on? I'm about to get laughed out of the comic book store. I didn't know it was a helmet. I thought he was like some sort of being that had like this weird sort of, and when he takes it off, he just like, he just looks like, like, like Namor. He just got like that classic, like slicked black hair that like movie stars just had for like 20 years. That was part of the things that one of the last images in the series. And I think that's what stuck with me when I was like, there's just some undercutting moments when he's like, well, actually the drink didn't do what you thought, but he takes his helmet off. and He's super casual. He's like, but 
you're also pretty cool in my book. So let's. <laughs> and it's like that's such a fun way to end. We've already seen him punch something. We've already seen him throw something through something. We've already seen him get the gal. So it's such a nice different ending to do like the Princess Bride switcheroo on Galactus. Yeah, but. Right, you're right. When Galactus took his helmet off, I was like, oh, man, am I going to have to say I didn't know he wore a helmet? <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved that his helmet goes fully around and covers his chin because I hate his facial hair. He's got these two little, like, <laughs> these little weird, like, chin mustaches. They're just so weird. I, but I freaking love it. It's It's terrific. That sequence is great because... You think that the setup of the super potent alcohol that he got is going to do this trick and and like help him save the day. It's like the you know they put the gun out there. The gun's got to be used later, and the the way they use it is so clever and so fun and and takes the turns that you don't expect, which is another reason to love this story. Yeah, it's so fun. Like I don't think this is spoiling it, but just because the gag is good, it's like a drop of it in water can like tear a new black hole or whatever. You think at some point Herc's going to sip it and go ham or not affect him or something cool. He puts the whole thing in Galactus's mug. They're sitting down for some sips. Galactus chugs the whole thing and it just makes him because he's the eater of worlds. It just makes him just drunk enough to let Hercules <laughs> get by. Like it's just messing with like his tolerance is so high that he drinks this like insanely diluted. And it's like, Okay, we can go. <laughs> it was good to see you, Herc. It just immediately becomes like a weird drunk grandpa. It's awesome. This was good for a giggle. I, yeah, I love right before that also when he's holding it in his hand, Leighton finds a way to, in that panel, you see his like belt buckle, him holding it, and also you get like the perfect nipple right in the top yes! left corner. It's, a, it's another one of those little like visual jokes that I loved so much where it's just like, of Just a reminder, this yeah. guy's in outer space in a loincloth <laughs> yeah. and one strap. Yeah, Boys, we did it. Hercules, Prince of Power, a tremendous effort by uh, Bob Layton and crew. Um, I mean, it's very much Bob Layton, but there's there's a bunch of people, even thanks a bunch of people who helped him in the end. Um, for anybody who's listening who has not read this yet, hopefully our spoilery talk about it didn't turn you off on it. And in fact, like... We're so excited about it. I'm jazzed. I'm glad we we got to read this. I think it's going to be one that's great. And reminder, note, the sequel, it's a little bit darker. It doesn't have the same tone. It's good. It's it's actually a gorgeous book, but it doesn't have the same tone. And then uh, I've actually never read the the OGN, the third part of it. Oh, are there any other Herc stories you guys recommend? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So Al Ewing, who is doing Immortal Hulk right now. Which is like what everyone keeps recoing yeah. to Immortal me. Hulk. One of the best books out there, but he did an Avenger, two Avengers books. Uh, it's Avengers No Surrender. There's two Avengers stories that are cool and cosmic, but Hercules shows up in them. And then that kind of leads to where Hercules is now in the Guardians of the Galaxy. I will also say you should check out the Maestro limited series that is going on right now. I think the first issue just hit Marvel Unlimited. There's some Hercules action in there. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but it's real good. If I could be as self-serving as possible in this podcast, my entire intention was like, well, I can't wait to pick these guys' brains about what else I should read now that I have Marvel <laughs> Unlimited. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's it's wild just because there's there's so much cool stuff. If you're an old school X-Men fan, the Ten of Swords crossover, have you read House of X? I read X? House and Powers. Okay, great. So following up on all those, and there should be like reading lists and stuff like that, but Ten of Swords is basically... Their intention was to do 90s style X-Men crossover, but in the House of X, Powers of 10 sort of mindset. So it's 23 parts going from book to book to book. 
and it's great. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely check that yeah. out. <laughs> Did you, have you read um, Deadpool by Jerry Duggan and Brian Postain? I think I've read some, but not uh, not a lot. So yeah. they started together and then Jerry goes off uh, on his own when Brian leaves to continue doing comedy stuff. Jerry's run on Deadpool is one of my favorite runs of comics, period. And oh. there's a storyline in his run called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I would put it up there as one of the best storylines of comics we've done in the past 20 years. Oh, cool. I'll definitely check that out. That's awesome. Uh, the other one I really loved recently uh, was the Tom King Vision one. That was- We talked was about great. that, yeah, on a Reader Club last week. John, while we're on the subject, what, what else have you read recently? That's something I was curious about. Oh, I recently read Conan Serpent War. Oh, and I, I've been trying to uh, do my research on The Eternals because it's just a book that I never knew anything about. And I have a friend in the movie, so I might as well learn yeah. a little bit about <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how they're listed in Marvel Unlimited, but there's some really cool Eternal stuff in there was like. They were what they were backups and issues of what if back in the 70s that basically told like the history of of the Eternals and stuff like that, that like it's a watch to the watcher being like, and here's the story of the Eternals this week. Uh, those are really good. Um, I read the the uh, Neil Gaiman Eternal. Yes. I mean, the, to me, read the Jack Kirby Eternals. That's like, you know. Get your high and mighty vibes on and then read Jack Kirby's <laughs> Eternals. Oh, uh, yeah. I got to get that huge iPad first. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. The The current Eternal series hasn't hit Marvel Unlimited yet, but man, it's a gorgeous book. Yeah. Oof. I do, and this is something I stand by. When I was a touring comedian and when I toured with UCB Touring Company, anytime I was in a new town or a new city, I would seek out their local comic shop and buy a trade, or if I had weekly polls, I would do that just to support them. And I still do that around the LA area. So even if they're not on Marvel Unlimited yet, I just can't see another one close. Yeah. So I'm doing everything in my power. Amen. Whatever it takes, you know. Thirteen ninety nine at a time. I'll try to save these guys. Yeah. Uh, one last recommendation for me: History of the Marvel Universe. It is one of my favorite things we've ever put, put together, and it is Mark Wade, um, who is like the one of the great comic minds of of our generation. The conceit is Franklin Richards and Galactus are best friends. They are at the end of time. The universe is about to end and go into the next universe, and they're having a conversation just remembering the good times that they had over the last 5 billion years. Oh, and that's cool. As, as Galactus is about to die and Franklin is going to go on to become the Galactus of the next universe. And it is gorgeous and it's sad. And every issue has an appendix at the back, which tells you every reference point that they pulled from. So that oh, if you're man. like, oh, that sounds cool, you can then look at what that is from and read that book. And it is, it's oh. all, it's, one of the most beautiful books in the world. Uh, Javier Rodriguez is the artist who is one of my favorites. So this is going to <laughs> activate such a, like this. I was afraid of this. This app is going to activate my completionist mentality and it's going to be a problem. <laughs> I'm ready to be like uh, just on my phone on the everywhere I go. <laughs> and and I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much to the Prince of Power himself, John Gabris, for joining us. Everybody get out there. Uh, listen to High Mighty, listen to Action Boys, go on to Please Premium, do. Gino Lombardo Show, Raised by TV. So much good stuff out there to get, dig into. Thank you again, Gabrus. Uh, well, thank you guys for having me on. And mostly thank you for introducing me to this book of one of my favorite characters Hell and yeah. uh, one of my new favorite books. Right on. Yeah. Thank you so much, man.
Thank you to the Prince of Power, Hercules and the Prince of Power, John Gabris, for joining us for diving into what is a hilarious, awesome, pitch-perfect series that I just loved so much. It's a blast. I always love talking with John. He's, he's great. He's funny as hell. That about wraps it up for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill Dubois is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And some would say he's a streetwise Hercules. I wouldn't be one of the people, but I am always (laughs) holding out for a hero. I'm Ryan. (laughs) And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Get at us. Get at us. Get at us? Get get at us.